Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. And what was it in the words of Max? Happy Father's Day and best available mail. <laughs> Quite sure what that means, but it's, a, it's a happy Father's Day to all. Hey, we just missed one announcement. Uh, this Saturday coming up, we've got our Thrive Women's Night here. Uh, you can see Lydia Townroad, Lydia and Dave Townroad, welcome back from South Africa. So great to have you guys back. Uh, so they've got all the details. There's little cards out. So ladies, make sure you're there this Saturday night coming. Hey, before we actually jump into this morning, I actually want to just take a moment. And I want to honor a couple of dads, a couple of dads in the life at church that are just amazing dads and amazing guys. And so we have bought some barbecues uh, for them. Uh, and so they don't know this is about to happen. So Ross, just down at, well, it's not it's barbecue shapes. It's similar to a, uh, to a barbecue. But there is something a little bit in there. Ross, I just want to honor you, and I want to thank you for being an incredible dad, an incredible man of God. You are relatively new to our church, and yet I've seen the impact that you've had on so many people's lives. I watch as you walk alongside and stand with your son, who not long ago gave his, gave his life to you. And I watch the relationship that you guys have got, and I just wanted to honor you and thank God for you. And we just want to, as a church, just want to thank God and honor you as well this morning. So, Ross, we love you. And you don't have to share those barbecue shapes. You can just eat them all to yourself. Uh, and there's one other dad we bought a barbecue for as well. Uh, Dan, Dan Katsoulis, just up the back. Dan, you also can come and get your barbecue. And there is also something in there from all of us. Hey, mate, I just wanted to honor you. Uh, you're an amazing dad. Uh, I watch you with your, with your sons, and I watch the engagement that you have with them. You're, you're a present dad. You know, that's one of the things that I've really valued about you. You've got kids who are at that age where they're crazy and they're boys, and yet I watch how you love them, and I watch how you get alongside them, and you don't just kind of shoo them away, but you include them into your life. And so I just wanted to honor you for being an incredible dad and an incredible man of God. No worries. Hey, uh, as you will have walked in this morning, you would have no doubt seen a few cars out there. There were some more cars coming. We have two problems. One, our driveway is not overly accessible for low cars. So there was three or four cars that tried to arrive and went, we can't get up the driveway. So they're here in spirit. And then one blew a water, valve, a water hose this morning. So he also is here in spirit. But there is a motorbike. And we have a motorbike on stage. And uh, when this arrived on Friday and Alex drove it in, it sounds amazing, and so if you hang around after the service, you might hear it uh, as it fires up and we, we get it out of here. And then we've got some treats after the service. We've got, we got pies and drinks for the boys, and we've got, well, I think we've even got some sneaky things for the ladies and the kids as well. So we just want to honor all of the dads. In fact, can we just, why don't we just, all of the dads and guys, why don't we just reach out uh, to someone near us or put a hand on their head, shoulder, um, in a loving, caring way, and let's pray for them this morning. God, I want to thank you. God, I want to thank you for our dads. God, thank you for the blessing that they are to us. 
God, thank you for the guys in our lives. God, we also know and we want to acknowledge that on a day like today, we celebrate dads, but for some of us, there's a grief at loss or there's a grief at hurt. But God, we thank you that you're a God who restores broken things. God, we thank you and we want to honor, God, the, the men in our lives, the dads in our lives, the spiritual dads in our lives. God, thank you for who they are. God, thank you for the way that you've used us to bring us into the world, but to, to mentor and to walk alongside us. So God, this morning, I want to pray an extra special blessing over their lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, I don't know if, if you've ever had the privilege, the pain, and the joy of restoring anything. You know, maybe it was like a motorbike like this, maybe it was a car like outside, or for us, maybe it was like a caravan, a 1976 Viscount caravan that looks like that at the start of the year behind our car. There it is, there's some little bit more photos of the pain, the pain, a little bit of joy, mostly pain, and a really long time, uh, that we've spent renovating that caravan, and we are getting really, really close. In two weeks' time, we're supposed to be away on a week's holiday in that caravan. So pray that it gets finished, because otherwise, I'm in the bad books. Uh, but I don't know if you've ever had the, the, the privilege and the joy and the pain of renovating anything, but, but if you've ever noticed, when you begin renovating, you know, there's, there's joy and expectation, excitement as you're like, yes, we're going to do this, and I'm going to do it with my own hands, with some other people's hands, and some other people's hands, and, you know, and it's going to be an amazing experience, and you start out with excitement and expectation. And then partway through, you know, the novelty begins to wear off. It's still fun, but just not quite as fun. And then you get to the point where you want to burn it or blow it up. Like, you're just like, I'm done with this, and it's sitting in the backyard or in the garage or wherever it might be. Or maybe you're like me, you procrastinate. All right, is there any other procrastinators here? And all the liars, Jesus forgive them. No, 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 no. So we either get frustrated or we procrastinate. And then finally the day hopefully comes that we finally finish the renovation. You know, when renovating something, have you ever noticed that it doesn't always go according to plan? I mean, I think about a caravan, there's been many moments where, you know, I've been talking to Mike about it because he's done one of these and he's renovated a caravan. I'm like, Mike, this should be easy. And I watch him as he just smiles, says nothing more. I'm like, it will be quick. And like six weeks later, I'm still polishing and cleaning windows and trying to figure out how they go back in. And then I plead with Mike, please come to my house and figure out how the little winders go back in. Because I've spent like four hours and many non-church words and it still won't work. You know, there's been many moments when, when you try to do your best to, 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 to renovate something and it just doesn't go to plan. See, one of the things that I've realized through, whether it's renovating caravans or restoring cars, is that there always seems to be a curveball. See, a curveball is simply this, something that's unexpected, surprising, or disruptive. So the title of my message this morning is simply called Caravans and curveballs. Let me pray. Dearly Father, I want to pray. God, as we, as we delve into your word this morning, God, as we laugh together, God, as we cry together, but God, most of all, as we read your word together, 
God, I pray that you, your word will come alive. God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit's here this morning, that it wants to speak to us. God, that you, our Heavenly Father, want to encourage us and stir us and challenge us this morning. God, we want to pray so boldly that we might leave just a little bit changed from how we walked in this morning. God, we look forward to what you're going to say through your word. In your mighty name, amen. See, we all have broken caravans, broken cars, or maybe broken relationships in our lives, yeah? I mean, we all have something in our lives that's kind of a little bit fractured, a little bit, you know, a little bit different, little, it's not quite how we would love it to be. But the thing that I love about God is our God is a God who stores broken situations. He's a God who restores broken dreams. And he's a God who restores broken relationship if we allow him. And as a dad of three kids, and like all of us, we all make mistakes. And now I know none of you do, and you're all magnificent. And Jesus, it's great to have you all here this morning with us. You know, we, we all make mistakes, don't we? I mean, we aren't the dad or we aren't the parent that we would love to be. We aren't the person we would love to be. And so if you don't, if you don't believe me this morning, last week I got Cherith to interview all of our kids. And they've cre- we've created a little video with all of your dirty secrets. No, I'm joking. All right. You know, we're all broken and we've all made mistakes. And we all need some renovating in our lives. We all need renovation in our relationships with other people. We need our relationship, our renovation with our relationship with God. And see, for some of us, you know, we need, there's a little bit of welding to do or a little bit of bog and filling, a little bit of a paint job or maybe a full engine rebuild in our lives with other people or with God. But I want to encourage you this morning that if that's you, then you're not alone. See, I don't want to shock you this morning, but as, as a dad and as your pastor, I'm not perfect. And I know that's shocking as I say those words, but I'm not perfect. And I was going to interview my kids this week and get them to share about how not perfect I am. But that video would be way too long, and so I'm not showing that video either. See, I'm not perfect, but we all have the best intentions, don't we? You know, I discovered, I mean, no one told me that parenting was really hard. You know, I thought it would be really simple in some ways. But now we're two teenagers, it's the, the difficult level and the challenge level has gone to a whole new place. You see, as a dad, I have the best intentions, but I still get it wrong. You see, I love my kids, but I still get it wrong. I have the best plans, but I somehow I still get it wrong, even when I've got the best intentions. See, this Father's Day, If you're anything like me, you're not perfect, you're broken, need some renovations in our lives and with the relationships with those around us, then welcome to church. It's so great to have every single one of you here. I love it because I'm not the only one and you're not the only one. See, what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite stories of a messy situation of of something seemingly bad and then interjected into it. Jesus comes and changes everything. And the interesting thing was, as I was preparing and thinking and praying through all of this this week, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper into my voice all week long these words. 
into our brokenness, it's not over. So let's jump into John chapter 11. We're going to read from verse 1, John chapter 11, and the story goes like this. It's on the screen behind me too. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord's feet and and wiped his feet with her hair. Now the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When When he heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. Take a moment, a mental note of that. Now, it is for God's glory that the God's Son may come down and, glorif- and be glorified through it. Now, Jesus said to Martha and her sister, and sorry, now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. And verse 14 goes on and simply says this. And then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. What I find so intriguing about this story is that, you know, if you've heard this story before, you know how it ends. So I'm not going to tell you for spoiler alert, but you know, we know how it ends. And, and yet, could you imagine yourself, put yourself in Mary and Martha and Lazarus' position? I mean, what I find so interesting is verse 5, John goes out of his way to tell everyone and to reinforce to everyone that Lazarus wasn't just a random stranger. It wasn't just some guy that kind of like Jesus knew back in high school and he kind of forgotten about him. But, oh, yeah, now, Gary, you know, I know that guy. Oh, no, maybe. Oh, was he the guy that did? No, that was, that was Larry. Okay. Uh, you know, like the, John goes out of his way to, to remind us and to establish that Lazarus was someone that Jesus loved. And here he is sick. Mary and Martha have sent word to Jesus, the one you love is sick. But Jesus seems to just go back to whatever he was doing. I mean, the Bible doesn't even tell us what he was doing. He just goes back to whatever he was doing. And then Lazarus dies. Have you ever noticed that God's, what God does doesn't always make sense? I mean, I know I shouldn't say that in church. I should always say, oh, it makes total sense. Have you ever noticed that that God asks us at times to do things that we kind of go, God, that doesn't really make sense. He asks us to go places like the Middle East that that maybe for some of us goes, why would you go to the Middle East and make coffee? I just thank you for making coffee. Coffee is dear to my heart, uh, and it's dear to all of our hearts here at Gateway Logan. Uh, But, you know, sometimes we find that what God asks us to do and what God says doesn't always make sense. Ever notice that, that God's, that we pray and we believe for things, but God's timing is a little bit frustratingly different to our timing. Now, have you ever noticed that, that God's ways are a little bit different to our way? See, most mornings at the moment I'm waking up, I get woken up by Jude, who's seven. And he sneaks into our bedroom. He sneaks around our bed to the side of where my snoring face is. And and, and, and he tries to find the iPad so he can steal my iPad. 
so he can play Minecraft on my iPad every morning before school. And, and every morning, I know he's there. You know when you know someone's there, even if you sleep or you're not focused? You know, this, and, he, and I hear this deep breathing next to my head. That's not shardy, that's chewed. And, 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 and one eye cracks open, and I just go, or sometimes no eye crack open, I just go, Jude. And Jude can never figure out how I know that he's there. Yeah, and like, he's like, Dad, how do you know I'm here? I'm like, man, it's just how I go. You know? and, and have you ever noticed that, you know, so here's Jude. He can never figure out why and how I know that he's always there and sneaking around. Like I sometimes look over the side of my bed and he's like commando crawling on the floor to try and get it. He's shifty ass. We don't know where he got that from. Anyway, you know, and it, see, the reality is, is if you're a parent of kids, you see things differently. You've got different experiences, different maturity or lack of maturity. It's either way. And we've been there and we've done that and we've already, we've already done the sneaky moves that they're about to do. You know, you know how when you see kids that are about to do something naughty and you saw it from like three days ago and they're like, Dad, how do you know such things? I'm like, well, I probably did them. You know, and, and see, God sees things differently. In Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9, it says this, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. See, everyone thought that for Lazarus, it was over. Everyone thought that for Lazarus, it was finished. I mean, Lazarus was dead. I mean, you can't get any more finished, done, and over than dying, can you? I mean, that's kind of like the 100% guarantee. That's it for everyone. But God's idea of over is a little bit different to ours. God's idea of over isn't always the same as ours. Because the story continues in verse 17. It says this, On his arrival... Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days? Four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles or about three kilometers from, from Jerusalem. And, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he went out to meet him and Mary stayed, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Imagine for a moment, you haven't cheated, you don't know the end of the story. Because the story is yet to have been written. Imagine what it was like to be Martha. Imagine, you know, I, I can hear in the voice in that little, that little one sentence, I can hear the emotion, the heartbreak and heartache when she sees Jesus. I'm, I'm assuming there's also a little bit of anger and frustration. As she sees Jesus and Lazarus is dead and Jesus has turned up too late and he's turned up four days late and Jesus got advanced notice that Lazarus was sick and Jesus loved Lazarus and La Jesus seems to have been too lazy to get off his bum and get to Lazarus and now Lazarus is dead. 
But Jesus loved Lazarus. And I wonder in that moment, you know, as, as, as Martha's crying out and Jesus going, why, Jesus? Why couldn't you get here? Jesus, where were you when I needed you most? Jesus, where were you when all the pain and the, the divorce and the separation, the, the stuff was happening? On Where were you when all of those things were happening? And I needed you and I cried out to you. And I wondered where you were and you went lacking and you were absent and you were gone. Jesus, where were you when I needed you most? Jesus, where were you when Lazarus needed you most? Where were you when Mary needed you most? God, where were you when we needed you? Jesus, you've let us down. You've done so much more than let us down. See, I wonder this morning if we're honest with ourselves. We've had those moments, haven't we? You know, maybe it's not a brother Lazarus dies, but maybe, maybe there's been a relationship that's gone south. Maybe there's a, something's happened in our life that you thought maybe God was in. You know, there was something in your life that you were believing God for, and yet it died, it finished, it didn't go the way that you'd hoped and planned and prepared it for. See, all of us have had those moments. Maybe some of us or many of us have had those moments where we've yelled at God in anger and hurt and frustration with tears streaming down our face, with anger in our hearts going, God, where were you? God, where were we when we needed you most? God, where were you when I needed you and I so believed that you might come through, but you didn't come through? If you, God, if you're the ever-powerful, ever-knowing God, why did that happen like that. See, Lazarus is dead. See, everything in that situation seems over, doesn't it? I mean, everything in this situation is like, okay, that's that. We pack up shop. We have the burial. We have the funeral. And we, we try and move on as best as we can in life. It seems done. And it seems over. And to make it compound it and to make it worse, in context of that day, the all good Jewish kids would go to yeshiva, which was kind of like Jewish kids' church. Our kids are in kids' church right now. Teenagers are in YC. And, and, and they would go to yeshiva, and they would be taught a bunch of things. But one of the teachings of the day went like this. For the first three days after someone died there was a chance that they could come back to life. See, the, the spirit would hover over the body for three days. And during that time, that if God wanted a bunch of things happen, that they could come back to life. But on day four, the spirit would leave and go to heaven or go to hell. And when did Jesus come back to see Lazarus? How many days in? Four days. See, for three days, they held out hope. For three days, they said, you know what, there's still a chance. For three days, they went, you know what, I know Lazarus is dead, but things can happen and things can change. And we know in our heart of hearts that God can do this. And then they woke up day four, resigned to the fact that it was over. That there was no more hope. There was no more chances left. 
No backyard reno on a caravan would fix it. No engine rebuild, no paint job would be able to save the day. But then verse 38 in the story continues. Jesus once more deeply moved. Church, this morning I want to let those words sink into your heart, sink into your soul. That we've got a God who's deeply moved by our grief. We've got a God who's deeply moved by our sorrow. We've got a God who's deeply moved and sees what we go through and isn't absent. But we've got a God who is deeply moved. And it goes on to say, and so he came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time a bad odor has begun, for he has been in the tomb, how many days? Four days. See, Martha thinks, Martha thinks she knows what's about to happen, but Jesus knows what is about to happen. See, Martha thinks that she knows how this is going to play out. But Jesus knows what is going to happen because he already said it. Remember back in, in verse, um, verse 4, Jesus already said before everything unfolds, before Lazarus dies, Jesus makes a seemingly bizarre statement. Je Lazarus hasn't died yet, and yet Jesus says, this sickness will not end in what? Death. See, we see one thing. Jesus is another. Verse 41 goes on. So they took the stone away. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you for what you have heard. Thank you that you have heard me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Just, again, just pretend we don't know the end of the story. You, you know, we haven't, we haven't gone, you know, got the cheat sheets, Googled how it ends. You know, we don't know the end of the story. Now, if you were Mary and Martha and the onlook of crowd that were gathered around Jesus and the family, because remember, a whole lot of people had come to be with there and to mourn with them. Now, imagine if that was you, what are you thinking right now? Jesus, that's kind of inappropriate. Like, what are you doing? It's a really dumb idea. One, it's going to stink. No one wants to smell that. No one wants to see it. And no one wants to rub anyone's noses in the fact that he's four days dead. Not just dead, not just dead, dead, but dead, 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 dead. It's over. I mean, I wonder if a bunch of the crowd were beginning to think, Jesus, this is now inappropriate. I mean, Jesus, the family has held out hope. They've sent word. You seemingly were too lazy to get here, and you've turned up too late, and Lazarus is dead, and now you have the audacity to turn up and go, hey, guess what? It'll be okay. Lazarus is dead. There's grieving and crying and wailing around the place. 
And Jesus turns up. See, there's no chance in restoration, is there? I mean, Lazarus is dead. I mean, you can't undo dead. Well, that's what we think. Everything can't be fixed by just a new paint job and, a, and an engine rebuild or some new parts put on a body. It's over. Lazarus is dead. But the story doesn't end here. You see, they thought that Lazarus or the caravan of the car or the relationship or whatever might be broken irreparable. That relationship in our life might be too far gone, too unsalvageable to get any kind of one-step move, let alone back to what it was, in fact, better than ever. But Jesus knew a curveball was coming. See, he was about to turn their mess into the miracle, but they just didn't know it. And as I've been praying for you all today and for us, I just sense God is saying that, He wants to turn some of our messes into some of his miracles if we will let him, if we will give them to him, if we will be like Mary and Martha and go, Jesus, this is it, and this is where it's at. And in the hands of our Lord and God, he does different things because he's in a different vantage point. Because verse 43 and verse 44 go on to finish this story and say, So when he said this, Jesus, sorry, when he he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped in linen and, and, and and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. See, there was a curveball coming that they didn't see coming. There was a situation that was about to change in their world that they looked at and thought, this is impossible. And Jesus turned up in the middle of their impossible and made it possible. You might feel like there's restoration Feels like it's impossible, it's too far gone, it's not going to change. We believe in a God who, if he can change dead people and make them alive, then he can change some of our situations and maybe turn them around as well. See, God wants to remind us this morning that it's not finished. We think it can't change. Like Mary and Martha who'd resigned themselves to the fact that Lazarus was dead and was never going to be undead. We've got a God who sees things differently. See, Mary and Martha were focused on the fact that Lazarus was dead and yet Jesus was focused on the fact that Lazarus would live. Remember verse 4? You know, this sickness will not end in death. No one had died at that point. It made no sense, the statement out of context. You know, it made no sense when, when he said, I wonder what the disciples went, not going to end in death. Okay, cool, Jesus, don't understand that. That's fine. See, Martha and Mary, Mary were focused on the, the fact that Lazarus was dead. Jesus was, fact, was, was focused on the fact that Lazarus would live. See, we bind the lies of the enemy who tell us that this is all it can ever be. That it is over. 
that it is dead and nothing can and nothing will ever change. We need to stop listening to those voices and start listening to Jesus. So I want to invite up this morning Jesh, one of our young families, Jesh and JJ. Here he comes around a, a, a pram, uh, an incredible young family in our church. And we invited just Jesh to share a little bit of JJ's story this morning. Yeah. Oh, I haven't done this in a long time. All right. I'm reading this on behalf of my, my wife, JJ, who, side point, is a chicken, too chicken to get up. But <laughs> this, is written from her, <laughs> this is written from her point of view and a very shortened version of her relationship with her dad. My mum and dad had a very rocky relationship from the get-go. They had a brother first and then me almost three years later. When I was two, they ended up divorcing. The divorce was a very messy and painful one. At the time of the divorce, when my mum, my brother and I left my dad, he clearly remembered both Daniel and I waving at the back of the window, saying goodbye. For the next seven years, he followed us from town to town throughout Queensland. Sorry if I get emotional, because it's a very full on for me. Oh man. As we moved at least once a year, where he tried to stay close and maintain a relationship with us. Once mum made the decision to move us from Cairns to Townsville, my dad decided not to keep following us anymore. He couldn't handle the heartbreak each time we moved again. Throughout our childhood, we were never ever, we only ever heard my mum's side of the story who, uh, of who my dad was. Given it was very toxic relationship and divorce, those stories never ended in his favour. The only father figure I had was both emotionally and physically abusive and was in our lives for many years. It became so normal for police to be around that when I was eight years old, I lost my tooth and came running out to show the police officer who was sitting in our kitchen taking my mum's statement following an episode. I never thought I needed my dad as my mum was a strong, independent, single mother. This led to always believing what she, she had to say about my dad. When I was 11, my nana on my mum's side was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the age of 57. We rushed to Adelaide to be with her and spent the next six months watching her deteriorate and eventually pass away three days after her 58th birthday. She was the glue that held, my, uh, that held together my mum's side of the family and was the only family member that, could, that we could relate to. Naturally, my mum took this very hard as she was, she was so young when she died. My mum changed at this point and was never the same. When I was 17, my stepmom fell pregnant. They had always told me that they didn't want children, so when they shared this news, it felt as though they were replacing my brother and I. I had tried to move up to be with my dad and my sister when I was seven months old, but given our history and what I had been told my whole life, it didn't work out. So I moved back to mum only after a few weeks. The feeling that we were being replaced and hurt from, um, that we were being replaced and hurt from feeling as though as abandoned as, as kids, we were never there. Uh, he was never there. Led me to believe there, um, led me to not attend their wedding and my sister's first birthday. Fast forward a year, I was bouncing between friends' couches, friends couches as my mum had sold our home and left. I was sitting on the ground outside of Crazy Clark's in Harvey Bay when my dad and I had a phone conversation. We discussed the brokenness of our relationship and I explained that I didn't know how to move on from that. 
he suggested we leave it in the past where it belongs and start fresh as a new relationship, and that's what we did. For years, we never spoke of anything prior to that call while we healed and created a new relationship. A year later, my brother had moved up to Cairns with my dad, and he was coming back for a visit. I rang dad and asked him to put me on a flight back home with him and I'll move in, which he did. It has been 15 years since that phone call, so the same amount of time has passed since as it had been before the call. It certainly hasn't been easy and there are still times and that things are said and done that trigger those feelings, but I now have two young sisters in a great relationship with my dad. He stood by me in all the terrible decisions that we made and all the best decisions. He welcomed Jesh into our family with open arms. He was our biggest supporter during our years of fertility struggles and treatment and is now the, the most doting poppy of Olivia. <laughs> Thank you. The part of that testimony and story that wasn't told, but that it was actually around about this time that, that JJ actually gave her life to Jesus. It's around about this time that things began to change in her life. You know, that, that God began to bring a healing work to a relationship between a daughter and her dad that seemed to be beyond impossible and to beyond dead and to beyond over. That through all of these things, it was a catalyst for JJ to actually begin that journey and then ultimately give her life to Jesus. See, this morning, I don't know where you are, but whether you feel like a caravan with relationships and life that's in the middle of a need of a restoration, or you're in the middle of a moment where God's throwing some curveballs at you. Caravans and curveballs. See, there's things in moments and relationships that might feel like they're too far gone, too far over. But I just sense this morning that God's got a curve ball in store for you. That no matter what has happened and what has been said and the pain and the hurts and the anguish and the stuff that you've done or that's been done to you, sensitively and delicately, I want to say that maybe this morning, maybe just maybe it's not over that maybe you're like Mary and Martha and it seems like it's dead and it's buried and it's... Like Lazarus was in a tomb. Like he was, he was buried when Jesus turned up. And Jesus was to turn some messes into some miracles. And we've seen God do this so many times in our church and so many people's lives. And I look out here and I see time and time again where there was a mess and then God's done a miracle. I've seen time and time again where, where there were some marriages and some relationships and diabolical dramas and yet God did a miracle. I look out and I see there's still some miracles that are in progress. Still some faith that still needs to be exercised. Still some moments where you go, God, it feels like nothing has changed. But God, I'm going to continue to hold on to you. I'm going to be those moments when, when Martha comes running to Jesus and says, why? 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 But she was there. She was still there with Jesus, still holding on to him, even when she was still wrestling, even when she was still struggling. 
sense, if God can bring dead people back to life, then God can bring dead situations, dead relationships, and dead dreams back to life again because Jesus has a different vantage point. He might not look over the side of his bed and bust a seven-year-old trying to pinch an iPad. But Jesus has got a different view on what you're going through. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.